Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Let's Talk XFL, the only podcast solely focused on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host Michael Lathrop. Hello football fans. This is episode 32, new partnership, more hires, and expert legal analysis. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code LETSTALKXFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. Before I get started, I have a call to action. You are already here and listening to the show, but have you followed the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter? Have you subscribed to the show on Amazon Podcast, Apple Podcast, Castro, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube? Perhaps you have yet to rate the show on your platform of choice. I might be biased, but a five-star rating and glowing comments will be appreciated. If you haven't already, take a moment while listening to do so. It is a quick search of Let's Talk XFL on the media platforms with a handle at Let's Talk XFL. By doing so, you help the show reach more XFL fans. Today, we have a fantastic show for you. There is plenty of league news to cover, and I have outdone myself. We have two guests. Later in the show, I will be joined by legal experts Dan Lust and Tony Ilacostas to discuss Together Company's lawsuit against the XFL. But first, we have those XFL developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On June 6th, USFL players voted and became unionized, making United Football Players Association and their partners, the United Steelworkers Union, the official players association of the USFL. I mention this because the United Football Players Association's website mentions the XFL among leagues they intend to organize players and represent. Their website also includes XFL updates, which include the upcoming showcases. The USFL players' vote legitimizes and strengthens the United Football Players Association and its efforts moving forward. It will not surprise me if we see the United Football Players Association begin efforts to unionize XFL players once contracts are finalized. Then, on June 7th, the XFL announced it had selected Contact Partnership Group as its sponsorship sales agency. The two entities will work together to enhance and execute the league's comprehensive corporate partnership strategy. XFL Chief Business Officer, Jordan Salatcher will lead the league's commercial efforts to communicate mutually beneficial and immersive partnerships between leading brands and the XFL. Salatcher will lead the Connect collaboration, effectively linking data analytics, creativity, strategy, and sales under one umbrella and creating a turnkey commercial value proposition for the league, its brand partners, and its new exclusive broadcast partner, the Walt Disney Company and ESPN. Salatcher addressed the announcement with the following. The XFL provides brands with an opportunity to partner with a purpose and culture-driven football league in innovative ways not yet seen before in professional sports. 
Connect has the proven expertise, track record, and relationships to visualize this unique opportunity for partners, and we look forward to continuing our relationship to even more valuable ways for all. This is another solid move by the XFL. By renewing an agreement with Connect Partnership Group, we could likely see some synergy between XFL 2.0 and 3.0. Partnerships such as this should be encouraging for fans who fell in love with the league in 2020. Then, on June 8th, the XFL announced Lisa Figenbaum had joined the league as the Senior Vice President of Ticketing. She will lead the planning and development of the XFL's ticket sales, services, operations for both the league and each of the 18 markets. Figenbaum will develop and oversee full suite, including season ticket membership, group tickets, premium and individual game tickets, while also managing pricing, packaging, and retention strategies. She will be responsible for measuring the effectiveness of ticket sales and service-related technology tools, as well as discovering new technologies to improve overall results. Her team will work to identify key partnerships to assist in the development of new distribution opportunities to drive revenue growth. Bigenbaum will work closely with the league's marketing team to develop go-to market strategies and implement all ticket sales and retention-driven campaigns. Bigenbaum will report to Janet Dosh. Her previous experience includes Executive Vice President and Chief Strategy Officer of the Dale Swings and Partner City Lacrosse Club, as well as eight years at the Sacramento Kings as the Vice President of Group, Premium Hospitality, and Event Sales. Figenbaum is the founding member of Pro Sports Assembly and serves as a board member of the National Sports Forum. Chief Marketing and Content Officer Janet Dosh addressed Figenbaum's hire with the following. Lisa has a deep understanding of the intricacies of the ticketing industry and her firsthand experience in helping cultivate a local team affinity will be crucial as we welcome fans into their home stadiums in 2023. It is a top priority for us to make XFL events accessible and affordable for all of our fans, and Lisa's experience working with professional sports teams will allow us to leverage relevant information in an impactful and value-oriented way. It is apparent that Figabomb has the background necessary for the role and is a respected professional. It is good to see the XFL continues to find quality talent and fulfill key leadership positions. We are inching closer to the 2023 kickoff, and the league is focusing on taking care of the little things, which will make each of the eight markets successful. Also, on June 8th, NTZ Network content creator Will Freeman unearthed a line of XFL apparel, which likely leaks seven XFL cities for 2023. The new merchandise utilizes the disconnected X with the word XFL and city in the center. The cities included Houston, Las Vegas, Orlando, San Antonio, Seattle, St. Louis, and Washington, D.C. Each of these cities have previously been reported by XFL insider Mike Mitchell, as well as Pro Football Network's Aaron Wilson. Seeing that only seven cities were featured on the XFL shop, the eighth and final city for 2023 is likely to be Dallas. I say this because both Mitchell and Wilson have reported it to be so, as well as the fact the league has made Dallas its headquarters, and the fact that Bob Stoops is returning for 2023. Then, on June 9th, the XFL announced key front office and coaching staff hires for each of its eight teams. Among the positions were director of player personnel, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator. Also included in the league's press release was an XFL draft date of November 2022. The hirings are as follows. Reggie Barlow's team, director of player personnel, Vaughn Hutchins, offensive coordinator and running back coach, Fred Caius, defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, Anthony Beck's team, Director of Player Personnel, Dave Bowler, 
Offensive coordinator, Bruce Gretkowski. Defensive coordinator, Nathaniel Donnie Abraham. Terrell Buckley's team. Director of player personnel, Larry Lee. Offensive coordinator, Robert Ford. Defensive coordinator, Tony Carter. Jim Hazlitt's team. Director of player personnel, Randy Mueller. Offensive coordinator, June Jones. Defensive coordinator, Ron Zook. Wade Phillips' team. Director of player personnel, Mark Lillibridge. Offensive coordinator, A.J. Smith. Defensive coordinator, Brian Stewart. Bob Stoops' team. Director of player personnel, Rick Mueller. Offensive coordinator, Jonathan Hayes. Defensive coordinator, Jay Hayes. Heinz Ward's team. Director of player personnel, Will Lewis. Offensive coordinator, Yami Elizondo. Defensive coordinator, Jim Herman. Rod Woodson's team. Director of player personnel, Joey Klinkscales. Offensive coordinator, to be determined and defensive coordinator to be determined. On a side note, XFL insider Mike Mitchell reported on June 4th, Alabama A&M assistant head coach and offensive coordinator, Dwayne Taylor, has been hired by the XFL to be an offensive coordinator, but will fulfill his duties at Alabama A&M for 2022 prior to leaving for the XFL. If this is to be true, he is likely to be Rod Woodson's offensive coordinator. Once again, Several of these names were reported previously by XFL insider Mike Mitchell and Pro Football Network's Aaron Wilson. I have much respect for their networking and reporting. As for the hires themselves, I will not break down them all. I must say there's a solid mixture of experience levels. I like bringing back several former XFL coaches. And I am pleasantly surprised by the hiring of notable National Football League coaches, Greg Williams and Tony Carter. I like the range of experience from proven, to up-and-coming coaches. The league is living up to its commitment of providing opportunities, whether it be for young coaches or players, as well as providing second chances for veteran coaches who have an abundance of knowledge to share and develop players so they can achieve their dreams. Then, on June 10th, the XFL announced the hire of Tony Brown as the league's vice president of security and operations. He will manage all operation and activities of the security department across the league headquarters, practice facilities, and team venues. Brown will oversee the security department, including the appointment of security directors for each of the teams and establish protocols to identify, investigate, and mitigate security issues within the league as they arise. He will serve as a liaison for the team's venues, focusing on venue readiness, security best practices, and game operational needs, and will work closely with the venue managers to ensure successful game day execution. Brown will be responsible for working effectively with federal, state, and local law agencies to ensure the security of the XFL venues, fans, players, staff, and infrastructure. Brown will report to Russ Brandon. Brown has more than 30 years of security, stadium operations, and crowd management experience. Prior to joining the XFL, he spent eight seasons with the Cleveland Browns, where he was responsible for day-to-day operations at First Energy Stadium while also ensuring compliance with relevant guidelines and best practices, including National Football League fan conduct, NFL stadium security, and DHS Safety Act certification. Brown also spent more than 19 years managing the in-house crowd management company owned and operated by the Chicago White Sox and United Center Joint Venture, where he oversaw all guest services, crowd management, and security operations for over 300 annual events held at U.S. Cellular Field and the United Center. This hire alone does not really mean much to the average XFL fan. However, it is another hire which shows fans the league has been hard at work and everything will be ready for February 18th's kickoff. 
As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by Dan Lost and Tony Ilacostas to discuss the Together Company's lawsuit against the XFL. Dan is an attorney at Garagos and Garagos and a sports law professor at the New York Law School. He is also the co-host of the Conduct Detrimental podcast. In addition, he has been featured by ESPN, Fox Sports, CBS Sports, Darren Roval, and Dan Lebetard, which has led to appearances on national radio programs, which include ESPN Radio, Fox Sports Radio, Mad Dog Sports Radio, as well as others. Tony is a rights and clearance manager at ABC News, as well as adjunct professor of intellectual property at the New York Law School. Welcome, Dan and Tony. I appreciate you both finding the time in your busy schedules to join the show to discuss the Together Company's lawsuit against XFL properties. Thanks for having us. Of course. Can you both take a moment and share with our listeners some of your background, starting with Dan? Yeah, so my name is Dan Lust. I'm an attorney based in New York. I work for the law firm of Garagos and Garagos. I'm also the sports law professor at New York Law School. And I think probably relevant to this conversation, I worked in PR for the New York Giants from 2008 through 2012. So big football fan. And I see in your background, Mike, the uh, New York, New Jersey Hitmen jersey. So I was I was a fan of the Hitmen once upon a time. <laughs> cool. Awesome. And I'm Tony Lee Costas. I'm a patch professor of entertainment law and intellectual property at New York Law School. I also work for a major media network doing copyright clearances. So pretty much my life is living and breathing intellectual property and all things related to legal issues in the world of sports, entertainment, what have you, that have some type of crossover with IP. And I know that this unique situation with the XFL and Together Company has presented a very unique matter concerning consumer confusion and trademark issues, generally speaking. Perfect. Although I took business law and sports law courses during my undergraduate education, I felt the show's listeners would appreciate and benefit from hearing from a law expert or two. So let me take a moment and set up our conversation for the average listener that may not really understand what this lawsuit's all about. So if I veer off anywhere and you guys want to correct me on something or have something to add, please do. But back on April 6th, the XFL properties unveiled their new branding and logo. The following day, Together Company co-founder Sue Bird and Alex Morgan took to social media calling out the XFL for their similarities to their branding and logo. No time was wasted on April 8th. Together issued a cease and desist letter to the XFL over the trademark concerns. Fast forward to June 1st, Together filed a lawsuit against XFL properties for the following complaints. Federal unfair competition of false designation of origin. State common law trademark infringement. State unfair competition under the California Business and Professions Code 17200. And they demand a jury trial. Included in the lawsuit its introduction to this action. It claims without Together's authorization or approval, XFL Properties has attempted to revive its image with a brand that appropriates the stylation and mimics the brand originality adopted and carefully built by Together. It specifically refers to an image by the XFL, which appears in the rebranding launch video released on April 6th. The image of interest is a split X with the word together in the center of it. The complaint states together has made repeated attempts to resolve the issue informally with XFL properties. The complaint also goes on to list several ways the XFL properties uses the rebranded logo 
It also claims together continues to substantially and irreparably harm through such unfair acts and use a confusingly similar mark. The value of the together marks will be diminished or destroyed for which damage together cannot or adequately be compensated by law. Together believes that the XFL properties has derived unlawful gains and profits from the unfair competition in which together seeks relief, including an order of financial compensation. Since the lawsuit has filed, the XFLs took down their rebrand launch video and uploaded an edited version that omits the split X with the word together back on June 2nd. Now that I've, so to speak, set the table for our conversation, in your expert opinion, what are the key components of this lawsuit and what does this mean for XFL properties? So I guess I could take the first part and I probably should mention not a coincidence, you have two New York Law School professors on the show. Uh, myself, again, sports law professor, and Tony is actually, his handle is the IP professor. So I couldn't get the sports law professor. That was uh, that was taken. But We'll, we'll work um, on it, Dan. Don't worry. We'll work on it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But I, I guess for, first and foremost, I think the most glaring point, and I remember the day back in April where the story kind of came up and Megan Rapino texted pictures of the two logos. And I think she put like... Um, like an eyes emoji or maybe like a thinking emoji. And I don't know, I, I guess where, where this thing starts, the Together logo has an X that for people that haven't actually seen the picture, it's not a, the X itself, we'll say the left half of the X and the right half of the X are not touching. There's a space between the two. And the XFL logo does have that property in common. That's It's a kind of disjointed X. It's two separate pieces. You know, we, we can get into it. Tony, I don't know if we agree or disagree on this. We haven't spoke about it offline. You know, but there were people in the comments who are saying, why are you giving like that type of emoji? Those two things don't look alike. You can have an X that doesn't touch and one could be of a completely different color, completely different size. So I think that's where this starts. Together is saying that the X that they've trademarked and the term together and the way they've used it brings so much value. But at its heart of hearts, there's no trademark dispute if if the two marks are are not substantially similar. So I think that's where the layman will start. And I think that's where my kind of eyes picked up. I'm like, okay, I guess there's some similarities. They're not so similar, but then, uh, you know, they set the season to assist. Uh, and I guess they were not happy with the XFL's lack of a response. They thought they would follow through with the lawsuit. So that's where we are. But I think if you're sitting here today and saying, wait, this is what they think is substantially similar and you're not really convinced that they're that, that similar, certainly you're not alone. And the Twitter comments replies that universe. Many people shared that thought first and foremost. So those, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I, I would agree with Dan that it's a unique situation, especially when you have so many you know, social media users going out and saying, well, there really isn't any sort of similarity or it's not enough to rise to the level of consumer confusion. And that's essentially the heart of any trademark infringement claim. The heart of it is always going to boil down to whether or not two marks, whether it's by logo, words, maybe a combination of both, is that enough to amount to consumer confusion? And oftentimes, you have to be extremely micro-specific and you have to look at a variety of different factors. So you have to look at evidence of actual confusion, which is going to be very data-driven. You're going to have to pull surveys, pull a bunch of people to verify, okay, if you did a blind test of 5,000 people, 10,000 people, would they reasonably infer that this is enough to amount to some type of consumer confusion or not? Actual confusion. What was the defendant's intent? Is XFL's intent to write off the coattails of together or are they acting independently 
as a different organization? Are they looking to expand into the plaintiff's category of goods or services? So together being a clothing brand, is XFL going to potentially create their own clothing brand? They already create merchandise that would feature a player's jersey. So that might make, get into the mix and get in the weeds there. But I think one thing to bear in mind is there is a universe where marks can have the same name, but they could be registered in different classes of goods and services. Just look at Dove Soap versus Dove Chocolate. That's a commonality. But I think this is a very unique territory where they're both in the sports genre, and that might lend to a better discussion about consumer confusion. Does the XFL's abrupt reaction by removing and changing the rebrand launch video establish any omission of guilt? Well, I mean, I, go ahead, Tony. I, I go ahead. I, I'll go ahead. I mean, part of me kind of feels I don't know if admission of guilt is the right word, but certainly it doesn't look good because in some way you're you're kind of giving in to. I mean, generally speaking, when a trademark user is accused of committing some type of trademark infringement. They could stay in their ground and they could say, absolutely not. This is not infringement worthy whatsoever. And they could have plenty of evidence to support it. Things here seem to suggest that Together is in a better position to allege consumer confusion because they were the first to use that X logo. They were the first to register it. And the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office honors first to file system when it comes to things like that. So it's pending trademark registration. And certainly there's you know a situation where we could see a world where there's some type of argument to be made that, oh, th- this is likely to create some type of mayhem because people are going to be up in arms and the consumers of Together are going to like the way this looks and blah, blah, blah. But maybe it was just a way to kind of like mitigate more than anything else. But it's kind of hard to say. I don't, I think it's a rash judgment though to say that it's an admission of guilt. I don't think there's anything wrong that's being done. It's just, a matter of interpretation, if you will. And, and that's where the law, especially with trademarks, gets very unique. So just to, to echo what Tony's saying, let's talk about the party, the XFL. I think, Tony, you made a really good point before about consumer confusion. I have never seen the XFL logo without the three letters, the XFL. I have seen together with just the X. So, you know, I don't know if anyone, if you see an, an X that resembles, maybe I'm giving them a little bit of credit, that resembles the together's X. But it's immediately preceded by an FL. Like, oh, there's no real confusion there, right? It's it's pretty clear. One is an X, and, and sometimes you see it as together with the the letter. You know, there's special X in the word together. But I don't know. Together doesn't use their together logo with FL after it. So it's not like Dove chocolate. It's not like Dove soap. It's not being used in the same context, right? So I think the other part we have to remember the parties involved here. So. Together is a women's sports initiative. It's Megan Rapinoe, it's Sue Bird, it's very big names in the women's sports space. And if you remember how the XFL, the rebrand of the XFL launched, you know, Rock's business partner, Danny, is somebody that was featured very heavily in his life. And, you know, so I think it was meant, and I remember The Rock was pointing it out, that, you know, it's not just The Rock and Redbird Capital. It was uh, also one of the first uh, women to own a sport. I think that was part of it. And the optics are like, hey, we don't want to, create an enemy out of together, which is this women's sports initiative, maybe it was an olive branch. I think that's another way to read it. You certainly can't read that as some admission of guilt just by the nature of doing it. So, you know, I, I obviously they were sent to cease and desist and they didn't follow through with what, you know, together in this women's sports initiative wanted. So to Tony's point, maybe that was their, you know, uh, their peace offering, but it doesn't yeah. seem to have, you know, I guess uh, won, won the battle in terms of mitigating this down. But 
I, I certainly think it's a strong attempt rather than redoing their whole launch. And if you read the complaint, contacting all of their vendors and saying that they have no affiliation with together, that seems like a completely, you know, a completely different ask. Tony, you mentioned the filings, which is perfect because my next question is I investigated both together and XFL properties trademark filings. Per my research, Together filed its trademark back on April 20th of 2021 and has a status of non-financial office action issued, clarification needed, date September 17th, with an estimated response deadline of June 17th of 2022. Whereas the XFL filed its trademarks on April 4th of 2022 and has a status of new application filed. How does the timing and the pending statuses impact either company's claim to their design and more importantly, this lawsuit? Great question. So just to provide some context for people at home. Well, first off, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is completely backlogged in trademark applications as we speak. There are estimations that it's taking, on average, 18 months from start to finish for a trademark application to be reviewed. Part of this is because of the pandemic. So backlog of applications has ensued because of that. A lot of people have left working for corporate America and they've started their own business. So naturally, that's led to a surge of small businesses registering trademarks for themselves. The rise of NFTs has been a big contributing factor as well. So companies registering trademarks for NFT companies or brands has been on the rise also. But just to provide some perspective of how much the USPTO is dealing with, just this past calendar year, 2021, it was almost, if I'm not mistaken, just over 1 million trademark applications registered. That's a record for the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and they've been around for years, for decades. So just goes to show you how much the USPTO is dealing with. So when you see the XFL registration saying, you know, pending a new application, trust me, the USPTO is going to take a long time before they even take a look at that application. Likely, we could see that happening maybe sometime in the fall, if you're lucky, that would be the best estimation. But when it comes to the Together Brands office action, office actions are just a form of correspondence that take place between an examining attorney at the trademark office and the owner of a brand or the mark owner. And essentially, it could be for a number of reasons. You know, There could be a clarification on the description of the logo or the clarification on the class of goods or services. It could be some type of correspondence that says something like, we initially denied this application because this is likely to cause consumer confusion. It could be too generic. It could be too descriptive. There are a number of reasons that could co- go into why a why an examining attorney might feel inclined to reject a trademark application, but it's not a final office action. So at least it gives the mark owner an opportunity to rebut and say, well, your logic doesn't make sense. And then, you know, usually a trademark attorney would be the one properly performing, you know, some type of paperwork that would provide a persuasive argument as to why that mark should still be reconsidered and so on. So essentially, that's how the office action plays a role here. Admittedly, I don't know what the exact language of the office action says that together received, but likely it would have something to that effect, whether it's a clarification of what the registration of the class of goods services are or maybe something else related to it being too descriptive, I would bet that maybe there is some other mark out there that may also bear some variation of an X, or there may be also another brand called Together 
that doesn't have the X, but just the fact that it's called together could be enough to create some type of consumer confusion. So an, a variety of different factors, but I think it's a really important stress, just going back to the heart of your question about timeline, it's really, really important to stress that together was the first to file, including their variation of the X logo. That puts them in an upper echelon of first to file, first right situation there, as opposed to the XFL. The thing I wanted to add there too, in addition to timing, right? Obviously, the maybe I don't want to pretend that uh, I think Tony leaves no stone unturned when we're talking about IP. So for those listening, you're getting a masterclass in IP. You know, so it's always good to talk to Tony. He gives you every nook and cranny, which I think maybe at a I don't know. I don't want to gloss over it, right? The XFL is filing their trademark later than togethers, right? When you file a trademark, you have to file and certify that you're filing it in good faith, that you're aware of no other, you know, conflicting marks or anything like that. So, you know, that's the type of question. Together is a pretty visible brand, you know, and it in some sense does operate in the same space. The only thing I didn't add before, it's like the XFL is a men's only football league and together is a women's sports initiative. So there's not necessarily crossover. In theory, they're somewhat close. The fact that Together existed for some period of time prior to this April 22 filing for the XFL, you know, in theory could be problematic, but that's why there might be discovery taken in this action. There might be questions asked of XFL. Where did you get this logo from? How did you come up with it? So keep that in mind, right? First in time doesn't automatically win, but the questions are going to be asked of XFL, how they came up with their logo. And Michael, to your point initially, why they were quick to change uh, after the fact. I think it's a fair question. doesn't automatically assume culpability uh, or any type of wrongdoing, but I think it's certainly a fair question, uh, both you know for the examiner, right, and, and uh, maybe the court of public opinion accounts for anything here. It's important to note, just to piggyback off what Dan said, that the XFL already does have variations of the XFL logo. In fact, the old lo- version of logos have been registered with USPTO. Whether or not those marks are still active, I, I don't know. But that said, I think one other thing to bear in mind here is XFL has used a variation of an X in their logos in the past. So maybe one viable argument that they could make here is the X that they're registering is a redesign of an existing mark that they've registered in the past. And so it's just a matter of frame of mind. You know, they're not really looking at it as a way of stealing necessarily or riding off the coattails of together. It just happens to be a very happy circumstance that both X's look almost identical. And I think going back to what we talked about before about actual consumer confusion, that really is going to be the ride or die argument here. Is there going to be enough evidence showing that if you showed the average person the XFL logo and the Together logo and their respective X's, are they going to look at it and say, wow, this looks like they both look the same? And that's going to be the heart of this dispute, but that's certainly the heart of every trademark infringement dispute that you see throughout the span of time. Do you think they actually look almost identical, Tony? I'm asking you as a, as you, not as an IP professor. You know, I'm going to say not quite, only because... <laughs> I think there's it, no such thing as not quite. <laughs> all right. Then Michael, I'm, can you then, agree then, as, then, as, as, the, right, as the moderator um, in the room? <laughs> in my opinion, it looks closer to the brand Hurley that's owned by Nike, like the yeah, surfing brand, which, yeah. although it's an H... But when you look at the two sides that are split, you got a black and a white, you know, that yin and that yang. It looks more similar to that that's in the sports world than it actually does to the split in the X 
XFL or even when the XFL used, you know, the X split with the word together in the center. That was so brief in one video. It wasn't used right. anywhere else. I think there's more of a concern that Hurley should have with together than together should actually have with the XFL. That's just me. Again, I don't work in the law field and understand it to the extent you gentlemen do. But I, here I am, the average person. And the first thing I thought when the, the whole exchange on Twitter happened, I'm like, well, actually, that looks more to Hurley. And I own a Hurley t-shirt. So as a consumer, that's the first thing that popped up. And I didn't even know what together was, although I'm familiar with the athletes that own it. Right. It was just that's, that was my first thought from it, just the that's average Joe. Point. I, yeah, that I will. Sense. Well, I, I will say, you know, the XFL, formerly owned by Vince McMahon, now owned by The Rock. This is almost a scenario where you'd hear like Hurley's entrance music, and they'd come in and they'd be interfering in the match. <laughs> We'd go from a singles match to a triple oh threat match very quickly. Of course, you I, said you, that. You, you knew I was going to throw in a wrestling reference. <laughs> I did. Of course, you saw that coming. I saw that a mile away right now. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, we'll, we'll continue with the theme of, of wrestling references. You know, I think in this situation, I think, uh, you know, I, I could go down the rabbit hole very, very far. But, you know, the company together is a very big company. We should talk about this. They have two million followers on TikTok. They're pretty established brand, even though the XFL company has been around for longer. It's not like together is this company that just thrown together last minute. So we asked right about consumer confusion. That's really where this is key. Where is the audience crossing over with the audience for together and the people that are familiar with it? I don't know. Maybe there's not that much crossover as there normally would be with two sports entities in the entertainment sphere. You know, there's some people that follow football very closely, be it collegiate, professional, whatever else, um, that maybe aren't familiar with uh, athletes like uh, Megan Rapinoe or Sue Byrne. Possible, right? So I, I think that certainly has to come into play. If it was another football league, that would be problematic. But then, yeah. uh, Tony, to the point you raised earlier, right? The XFL has been around for years, right? The New York Hitmen, that jersey in the background. Like, I remember following He Hate Me and way, way back when with the old original version of the XFL. So, you know, maybe a rebrand is different. Together is a new company. That's their logo for the first time. And the XFL has been around for a while. This is not the first iteration of that logo. So I think that's a point really in XFL's favor. So I, again, I saw that Twitter back and forth and I'm like, I don't know, it just seems like kind of a bluff. I don't actually think that they have teeth to this lawsuit. And then they filed it. So I read through it. My mind has not changed having read the complaint that I do think that the XFL has a strong defense here. But maybe this is also just a a way for together to get some additional publicity, not that they need it, but that they want to protect their brand. And they're showing that another company can't come around and freely have something that comes close to us. So, you know, we're talking about Hurley and another brand. So maybe if a hypothetical, another company thought about using that type of an X, they got close to it, maybe they would think twice about it. So they're protecting their brand and bringing exposure that they are trying to, you know, that they're going to enforce their trademark rights. So sometimes there's value in just trying to protect it, which might be a deterrent for some other unnamed third company to avoid using an, an X that's similar to either. That's, that's also a potential reason to have started this action. Yeah. My next question is a multi-layered question. First, the complaint requested a jury trial. So one, what's the likelihood it goes to trial? Two, what's the chance that a judge would actually grant a jury trial? And would a jury trial benefit together or the XFL? Well, I'm the litigation guy, so I'll take the first part of it. So jury trial, you know, to this extent, most of the time a jury trial is going to be preferred. 
you know, I guess I should say as a precursor, 99.9% of cases find a way to settle beforehand. You know, litigation is very costly, especially something like this. You know, obviously both sides have money attached to it. Um, but the XFL, right, is not bringing in substantial income, I guess, first and foremost, before the league actually gets off the ground. I think that's number one. So, um, and I think from a public PR perspective, I don't think either company is going to want this to, to go on for as long. We could talk about another case that I'm very familiar with, the Deshaun Watson case. There's 24 of those cases. I think both parties have an interest in settling that because it, as it goes further on, you know, both sides are dealing with a very public lawsuit. Now, here, you're not dealing with individual litigants like people accusing Deshaun Watson of something. So maybe it's less personal. Maybe the fact that it's two companies make it more possible to make it to the finish line. That said, again, almost all cases settle before they go to trial. And I don't think this case is going to be any different. I think this case will find a way to settle. So is it possible it goes to a jury trial? Sure. The alternative to a, a jury trial is something called a bench trial. And a bench trial is just in front of the judge. Why one would want a bench trial in theory is if the issue was very complicated and very particular, where you don't want like public sentiment factored in. So if you have a two very highly publicized and high, very high profile litigants, sometimes you just want the judge to, in theory, block out all the noise and decide the case on the law without resorting to public sentiment left or right. Could that be a play here? Sure. But I think the plaintiff in this case together is going to want a jury trial. I would think they would, but I just don't, I don't think it would get that far. And then, you know, I guess forecasting, I, the first step is going to be obviously the XFL to file their response, and they're going to go through a period of disclosures and discovery, which might result in depositions, but that gets very costly very quickly. I, there's also a chance that this case settles. And when I say settles, it doesn't always involve a monetary payment. Sometimes they can come up with some type of non- monetary resolution. So we'll see. I, I think the fact that the XFL didn't listen to that cease and desist, and then you know maybe their version was to switch up that video, that seemingly did not work. So we'll see. I, I think uh, some other compromise can be reached outside of money. But yeah, again, to, to your initial point, how likely is it that we see a jury trial? I hate to be the bearer of bad news for everyone that's, that wants another very public trial. Very unlikely. But again, we're only at day one. So it's it's certainly too early to tell how long we'll get into it. Yeah, I would agree. I honestly think that it's an interesting fact pattern. And certainly there is law that can help sway the decision one way versus the other. You know, Dan and I went to law school. They've forced it down our throats that 90% of cases end up in a settlement. So I think that this is one of those 90% cases that is just going to end up in a settlement. You know, the IP professor in me would love for this to go to trial. And then this is just another case for me to teach in my class because it's fun and unique. And I think it just further emphasizes the uniqueness of evaluating consumer confusion in the trademark infringement space. But, you know, if I'm being a realist, I think this is just going to end in a settlement. But one thing I want to add to what Dan said about non monetary compensation, one thing that could come out of this is, and this is common in the world of trademark, there could be something called a coexistence agreement, where if you have two marks that look similar, that are the subject of the dispute, and part of the settlement is, you move on, XFL goes their way, together goes their way, but they have the ability, each respectively, to register their variation of what they, what one thinks is the same logo or, or not, 
they're able to do that by way of a coexistence agreement. It basically absolves any liability. You're not going to bring up any new lawsuits. You move on, shake hands, and you know, go with the wind. So it's a very unique remedy that takes place in the world of trademark. I see that very likely happening if it does end up in a settlement. Is there anything that we have not covered that we should be aware of? So one thing I, I want to add is I'm sure that the average listener might be thinking, okay, this is another trademark dispute in the world of sports. And the last time we got something like this was with the Cleveland Guardians roller derby team versus the baseball team. Now, I think we should stress that was in every sense of the word, a true PR nightmare, because normally when you register a trademark, part of the process, in addition to registering the trademark is you have to do a search, an extremely comprehensive search to verify that no other owners out there have that same type of mark whether it's by word, by design, any variation of it. Cleveland Guardians roller derby team never registered the trademark with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. They only registered a state trademark in the state of Ohio. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Guardians baseball team, just like any other baseball team under Major League Baseball, registers their trademark with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for a number of reasons, but mainly because you get federal protection in all 50 states, so you ensure that that mark under Major League Baseball properties is not infringed on by some Fugazi, you know, store owner that makes fake merchandise and then sells it off and it's inferior quality and whatnot. You know, Major League Baseball, like any other sports league, is very protective of their properties. Now, look, Dan and I have talked about this many times. He's tied it to his class. We joke about how a simple Google search may have remedied this whole matter. Part of me kind of feels bad for maybe even the law clerk or whoever was working in the Cleveland Guardians legal department, because probably they did what their intellectual property professor told them to do or what their mentors told them to do, which is to always look in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office first to see if there are any trademarks. And they probably didn't see anything, and rightfully so, because there weren't any. There was one squatter that ended up you know, holding on to it, and then Cleveland Guardians baseball team got those rights. But beyond that, there was no active registration for a trademark related to a Cleveland Guardians roller derby team. And then this whole thing ensued with the roller derby team versus the baseball team. And ultimately, you know, we got a settlement as a result of it. We don't know the specifics of it. But I bring that example up because in that situation, you can look at it as mea culpa. You can look at it as an honest mistake, whatever you want to call it. But I think that that situation with trademarks and sports teams or sports entities inherently is different from what you see here with the XFL versus together brand. Because I don't think there was any honest mistake. Honestly, there was no mistake. I think this is just a sheer coincidence more than anything else that both marks happen to have some similarity when it comes to a look of an X and a black and white ski back and forth. But, you know, am I going to go as far as to say, you know, XFL made a mistake? I, I wouldn't say it was a mistake necessarily that they did that they didn't do enough research, maybe they should have. Same with Together. I don't think they did anything wrong either because you know I'm sure that they've done their own comprehensive search to ensure that their mark is properly registered. But it's a very unique fact pattern nonetheless. So all that to say, take it for what it's worth. I think this is a different situation compared to Cleveland Guardians and it's still a fun case nonetheless. Yeah, I don't, I don't have too much to add. I think Tony wrapped it up. Yeah, the coexistence agreement is usually where these things tend to go. And we'll see. Hopefully the sides can work it out, though. Perfect. Dan and Tony, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show and talk with me about the Together Company's lawsuit against the XFL properties. If some of our listeners wanted to follow you guys and some of the work, where could they do so? 
So I am on all forms of social media, except TikTok, but uh, you can find me at Sports Law Lust. Again, uh, Dan Lust. And if you are a, thinking about going to law school, you can find Tony and I both at New York Law School teaching our respective classes. And uh, also, I host the Conduct Detrimental Sports Law Podcast. We cover a lot of these issues. You might have some XFL stuff future. So that's where you can find us. And uh, I'm at the IP professor on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, but I'm more active on Instagram and TikTok. So check me out. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Oh, good. It yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm happy we, we snuck it in. Thanks, guys. All right. Take okay. care. You got it. Having Dan and Tony on the show to discuss Together's lawsuit against the XFL is a real treat. If you have a moment, I recommend checking out the Conduct Detrimental podcast and follow both of them on social media. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Let's Talk XFL. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Talk XFL on your platform of choice. Follow Let's Talk XFL on Facebook and Twitter at Let's Talk XFL. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to letstalkxfl at gmail.com.